You are listening to a message from Treeline Church, a life-giving church in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. If you are in the Pittsburgh region, we would love to have you join us in person for one of our services. Check out treeline.church for times and location. Thanks for listening and enjoy the message. What's up, everybody? How's everyone doing this morning? Like the semicircle. Good. Hey, don't be caught off guard. Three preachers up on a stage. You won't be here all day. We promise we're very aware of the time. But um, (laughs) hey, next week, anybody know what next week is? Easter. Good, good, good. So then what does that make this Sunday? Come on, you're going to kick yourself. It's Palm Sunday. It's Palm Sunday, which is a super significant day for those of us uh, who are followers of Jesus. And uh, maybe you're new to church or things of church. And so I just wanted to take a second and kind of set up Palm Sunday, because what we're going to do is have a little panel discussion around uh, one of the highlights from Palm Sunday. So Palm Sunday is uh, the day where we, we remember, we think back on Jesus starting that final really hard week of his life, uh, ending his earthly ministry. And so Jesus had been ministering for uh, three years or so, and, and he comes down from the Mount of Olives, and he comes into Jerusalem, and it's super crowded in Jerusalem. Like, think Walmart on Black Friday. Like, it's super, super busy. And the reason that it's so busy is because uh, the Jewish people had all traveled from wherever they had been to Jerusalem because it was Passover week, which was a huge feast celebrating when God uh, uh, rescued his people out of slavery in Egypt. And so it's Passover week, hundreds of thousands, like we don't even know how many, but that many people swarm the city of Jerusalem uh, from all over to commemorate this, this special week. And so uh, this is um, Jesus winding down his ministry, coming into town, and he had been ministering, but now he, he enters into town, and, and he kind of kicks off a big parade. So he gets on a horse, and, or a donkey, sorry, and, uh, and heads into town. And I just wanted to, for the sake of those of us who are maybe less familiar with it, um, man, when I get up here late, I'm all out of rhythm. <laughs> this, is, this is good. When a, this when is a, good, Ben. When a communicator gets out of rhythm, you know what you do? You read the Bible. Yeah. <laughs> it slows the whole world down. You want me to do oh, I'm here. I'm centered again. Yeah, could you do? I can't. <laughs> I shut you off last time. Last yeah. service I said, no, now I need you. Now you need me. And I need a bailout, Brock. Come on, how's it me. feel? <laughs> you, you ain't got my back. <laughs> I love it. Hey, let's read about the triumphal entry, and yeah. then we're going to get into this discussion. This is from the book of Matthew, chapter 21. It says, now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. So the disciples went and did, just as Jesus directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on their cloaks, put put them in their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and and followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And so on Palm Sunday, we commemorate this moment, this scene of Jesus' life, and we remember this triumphal entry. And so as while we were planning this service, this last uh, service of us gathering on these Sundays once a month, we thought how much fun would it be to actually dive into this triumphal entry because there's so much. For those of us who like grew up in the church world, this might be one of those stories you're like, I get it. We have to talk about this every year, and it's just a story we tell. 
I hope that you walk away from today thinking it is so much more than a story to tell because there's actually application for our lives in this story. And that's what I'm excited about for this morning. And Chris, man, you're such a great teacher. (laughs) Take us into this. Like, what is this all about? This idea of a procession, this triumph. Thanks, Ben. This is dangerous, given multiple pastors a mic at the same time. You would you would think we'd talk all afternoon, but in first service, it was like everybody, we sat there with our mic on our lap, and they had to pull it out of us. But uh, a triumph is not something that you think about or hear about. It's, it's an old school word. I didn't call Brian up and say, hey, we're, let's go out for a triumph tonight. Like, that doesn't good, happen. Though. And uh, maybe in our culture, we, we think about it's a motorcycle, it's a car, it's an insult comic dog. I don't know what you think of when you think of triumph. But in ancient cultures, a triumph was how they celebrated a victory at war. So they would, they would go off, they would battle, they would come back with who they had captured, the stuff that they had taken from the opposing cities, and they would march back into town. They would have a big parade. Anybody in the room, did you go to the last time the Penguins won the Stanley Cup or the Steelers won the Super Bowl? Who went downtown for a parade? Come on. Oh, three people in the room. Really, who went downtown for the parade? How, how many of you are old enough to remember going to a parade for the Pirates win the World Series? Yeah, there's one, they, they two hands. They were, they were going downtown. They were going downtown to celebrate the Pirates. Well, Clarify. <laughs> oh, yeah, I was there. I didn't know, I didn't know what downtown meant. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Brian is so quick-witted. So, a, I love it. So what they did, just it. like the Penguins it. had the Stanley Cup with them, just like the Steelers had the Super Bowl, they would have a parade to welcome the king back into town after a victory, and they would have all the spoils of battle, and they would come back, and usually what would happen is the prisoners would get executed, maimed, made sport of in front of people. Uh, there's some ancient pictures that you'll see of the king who conquered the other king putting his foot on his neck. I was, and I was asking Zach if, if he would help me demonstrate that this morning, but he has an aversion to germs and feet, so he wasn't willing to do that. So we said we'd just talk about it. Um, but that's really what a triumph was. It was a celebration, a victory parade to acclaim a king who was coming in from battle. And that really is, it was appropriate for Jesus because he was the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Every parade I've ever been to, they like throw out candy. So you're saying these parades were a little more violent than that. Just a little, a little bit. bit Although so, I, I could picture the disciples throwing out like I think they probably bits were. of honey or something. Easter yeah. eggs. Easter probably. eggs. Unleavened bread. Unleavened bread. <laughs> yes, that's what it was for sure. Okay, okay, okay. So get us back on track. <laughs> these parades, these triumphs, they were a common thing. Yeah. So what made Jesus' parade so different? Oh, so it's me again. Um, Well, Jesus, really, in that time, in that moment, and still today in our lives, Jesus flips the script. He always does things differently than we expect. He does things according to a different order of priorities than we would have in our lives. Uh, Matthew says, they came into the city by the way of Bethpage. Uh, This was the gate where they would bring in the Passover lamb that was about to be slaughtered. That, that was where Jesus decided to triumphantly enter the city. So that was not where the conquering kings would have ridden in and say, look how glorious this space is. He came by the way of where the sacrifices would come. And uh, this triumphal, we call it a triumphal procession, but it really began a difficult week that was leading up to the cross. And I, w- I just want to read a verse uh, from Colossians chapter 2.15. It says, having disarmed the powers and authorities... Uh, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. So Jesus was demonstrating, I do things differently than you. I do things out of order. I flip the script. Uh, instead of having a victory and then having the celebration afterwards, Jesus was celebrating first. And then the victory was going to be won a week later on the cross and when he walked out of that tomb. And, and I will tell you, as a Christian, don't ever forget 
that you fight and you live from a place of the victory already being won. There, there is a time when we can actually celebrate in advance, celebrate ahead of time, even before the work is done, because the work has already been done in, in real fact. Um, so Jesus was, uh, he was doing things by going lower. That was, that was different than what the world did. He humbled himself to go through this, uh, where the world would say, hey, let's have a parade because you're the best. And we're going to rally and cheer like, yeah, you're awesome. This is our guy. That's what they would do. Instead, Jesus was demonstrating, hey, I'm going to be great by taking the road of humility. I'm going to go lower and lower. Uh, instead of uh, a God demanding gifts, sometimes after a triumph, they would offer sacrifices to the gods. Instead of a God demanding gifts, Jesus came to give gifts to men. And, and he, he died for us. Instead of a line of prisoners that were going to be executed, the king himself was going to die for us so that we could be free. Uh, instead of coming, I mean, think about all the things that Jesus did, that his priorities are so different than the world. Uh, most kings would come back on a white horse or a chariot signifying war, like we've won a victory in a battle. Jesus came riding on a donkey which was a symbol of peace, saying, hey, I, I am here. The, what was proclaimed to the shepherds on the, the eve when Jesus was born, I come bringing peace on earth and goodwill towards all men. Jesus was coming declaring that in the moment of triumph. Well, I love that. And that, that whole idea that everything in the kingdom is kind of upside down. Like yeah. we are part of an upside down kingdom. What's up is down, what's down is up. The idea yeah. that Jesus kept moving his life lower and lower and lower, more and more humility, more serving not more accolade, not more. Yeah. And we see that through his whole life in ministry. When he launches the church, he's in northern Israel. He's at Caesarea yeah. Philippi, up in the mountains near the Syrian border. And he starts high, and then his ministry geographically moves from north to south, yep. from the high place of Israel down to the low place, the whole way down to, like, the Dead Sea, yep. and then eventually over to Jerusalem for this moment. And we see that time and time again, yep. that, 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 the low, that Jesus moves to the low places, and it, it just shows the posture of his heart. That is so powerful. Yeah. And, but like, speaking awesome. of low things, like I love this idea of the donkey. I love, I love that you brought him in because he's not incidental to the story. Yeah. He's essential. Like it matters. And Brian, when we were talking about this, you were all about the donkey. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Thanks, Ben. And I'm going to get off the stool so I can preach a little bit because I feel a little restricted. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I like that. Brian's all about the donkey. I like that. Well, I, I'm a fan of Shrek. So donkey. Everybody in the morning, loves parfait. I'm waffles, right? I mean, it's like, anyway. Uh, so, yeah, when we were talking about that and reading it, it almost sticks out a little bit as a sore thumb when you talk about the title, as a triumphant entry. And then the guy, guy comes in on a donkey. Like, come on, what is that? Like, shouldn't he be, like, coming in on the stallion or the horse and making his presentation? But it's really amazing to me because we miss this sometimes culturally, some of the more subtle references that, say, like, today, someone mentioned your favorite Netflix movie or something you're binge-watching. Even the idea of binge-watching, right? In this culture, you get that. You understand right away what that means. But for them, this was not so subtle. They got it. That he came in on a donkey, this was intentional because when it was uh, the kings were coming back from war, going off to war, they came in on a horse. It was like the war horse, right? It was like making that presentation. But when they would come in on a humble donkey, they were saying peace. That this is a peace. And people would actually bring gifts. They would load it down and they would bring this in. Um, and it was even amazing that as Jesus was riding this, he didn't have all the pomp and circumstance and the royalty that just his disciples threw some clothes down on it, right? They just like throw their cloak on it. And he's making a statement that they did not miss. Matter of fact, there was an Old Testament prophecy. It wouldn't have been Old Testament for them. It would have just been the Testament. It would have been their, their, their Bible, right? They're like, Old Testament reference. It's like, anyway. <laughs> they're like, yeah, remember that Old Testament prophecy? Uh, How many of you, that's enough. You can go home now. Like, just that reality. Like, there wasn't always two Testaments. Anyway. Unbelievable. 
Like they got it. The way you think about that. That's right. So uh, they would they would have got it. They would there would have been a prophecy that said the Messiah is going to come in riding on this donkey, right? They they they, they would have not missed any of these subtleties. They would have been just very apparent. And what really stuck out to me is that Jesus needed something physical. He needed a physical donkey. He needed something in this world to make something supernatural, make something of God's kingdom happen. And if you read the story, he tells two of his disciples, hey, go into town. You're going to find a donkey tied up there. Um, if anyone asks you why you're untying it, tell them that the Lord needs it. And I love when you read it, because as you read it, it's like, and then exactly what Jesus happened, happened. Like, it happens every single time, and they're still surprised. And you can just picture yourself in this moment, in this story. Here's these people. They own this donkey. These people come untied. Hey, what are you doing? What are you, what are you stealing my doggy for? And Jesus is like, just run. If anyone says anything, run. No, it's not, not what Jesus said at all. He's like, just tell them the Lord needs it, and they'll give it to you, and that's exactly what they do. So they see him untying it, and they say, the Lord needs it. They let him go, and they take it to Jesus. And here's what's amazing. Can I do that with my next car? You can, yeah. Like, just go, just to, the go to the dealership. Start Jesus driving needs home. it. Yeah, Jesus needs this. Yeah, it's like... <laughs> Anyway. No, wait. When we went to Arizona, you were like, hey, go get that Tesla and tell them the Lord needs it. That's right. I was like, Chris, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't. <laughs> go doesn't get that Tesla. <laughs> so anyway, where, where were we? The donkey. People giving them the donkey. Oh, that it be in that moment. Can you imagine? And they gave it to him. And it had so much value. This was a cool that had, it had never been ridden before. It was a brand new, it still had that new donkey smell to it. And, and he, they didn't like, hey, wait a minute, leave that one tied up. We got this high mileage one in the back. It's got a couple of stains, a little bit of funky smell from the kids. We can't get out of it. Send that one to Jesus. I mean, he's just doing the one little ride. He's not going to need it the rest of his life. Why can't he take that one? But no, they give him the best. And it just struck me so much that Jesus was in need of a physical resource to make his kingdom happen. And that we are in the same. And I had to wonder, if Jesus said that about me, would I be so willing? Because even today, he wants us to be a part of that. And he, he needs resources. And if he says, hey, Brian, you got this thing, whatever it is, it's not going to be a donkey, right? Maybe you do have a donkey. And you're like, I've got some stuff I'd like for Jesus to come untie and get out of here. <laughs> a few other things that were called a donkey. Anyway, you can have that. Uh, <laughs> but will we give him our best? Will we give him our time, our talent, our resources, our influence? Are there physical, tangible things in this world that God would need to establish his kingdom here on the earth? And it just so struck me that they were willing to be so obedient. We don't know who these people were. It's kind of understood that they were probably Jesus followers, where Jesus would be like, hey, these are random people, and maybe he just, you know, did a mind, Jedi mind trick on them. There is no donkey. And they just <laughs> So good. <laughs> this is our second run through, I promise. Um, it gets better as the day goes on. Stick around for the third one. We're not having um, So anyway, yeah, that just really stuck out to me that Jesus needed something in the physical that we had to do. Well, I love that. And man, like even in this service, I kind of, I heard it a different way. Last service, I was kind of like, so you're saying be more like the donkey, which is a yes, but it's not just be like the donkey, right? It's like be like the people who own the donkey because God doesn't just use people to accomplish his purposes. He uses people's possessions to accomplish his purposes. And however he invites us into his mission, it matters for the kingdom. Yeah. And that's the power of the donkey in the story. And, like, for us, church, that's what matters to us. Like, if you don't walk away uh, remembering anything else, including the bad jokes, remember that. Like, listen, God invites people to accomplish his purposes. Now, you got to personalize that. God invites me to be a part of helping to accomplish his purposes. 
And what a humbling thought that God chooses yeah. us and all of our imperfections and just the way we are to be a part of what he's doing on earth. I, I love that. I had a thought, just like, how many of us, if, if Jesus appeared to us and said, hey, if you just give this, whatever it is that we're holding on to so tight, if it's write a check or give away some favorite possession or donate something, if Jesus came and said, if you give this, this person you've been praying for that you love, they'll get saved. They'll come to know me. Like in that moment, if Jesus physically appeared and said that, we'd all be like, yeah. I'm getting out my checkbook right now or here, have it all, Jesus. And it, it really is that he may not come and physically say it, but there are times we get that nudge of, hey, if I just let go of this, I don't know what God's going to do with that to bring his kingdom here on the earth. That's well, good, I love Brian. that. And I mean, that reminds, it takes me back to the conversation where we were talking about this message in this service and this idea that God invites people to be a part of accomplishing his purposes. And Pastor Zach, you brought up Nehemiah. 500 years prior to this and how God chose a man to help accomplish his, his purposes that actually sets up this whole thing, but 500 years earlier. Like, tell us about that. Yeah, it's, it's what's on the other end of your obedience and obscurity, right? That's like, this is, this is what faith is. We, we don't know why God is leading us to do something. And we've all been prayed for. Like, I don't know why, but somebody, so I'm getting a picture and that picture you're like, whoa, you know, we never really understand why God is leading us to do something. We rarely understand those things. And with Nehemiah, you know, this, this story is one of my favorites in the Old Testament. It's 500 years before the triumphal entry. And Nehemiah actually rode into town on a donkey to assess the damage of the walls of Jerusalem. It's so interesting because this is the fulfillment of this man who served in obscurity. He did something, but not ne necessarily knowing the implications of the power of it. Perhaps not, you know? And so oh, look at Nehemiah. It, it's, it's funny. And I, I just want to encourage you, make it practical for you. And, and, what, and what, you know, three simple things that you can do. In, in Nehemiah, you know, the, the Bible says in, in Nehemiah 1, the words of Nehemiah, the son of, of Hekeliah, whatever it is, okay? <laughs> You know how to pronounce it, Chris. You're the smart one up here. Uh, now it happened in the month of Chislev in the 20th year that while I was in Susa, the capital, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah, and I'd asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had several, uh, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there is in, in the province who had survived the exile was in great trouble and shame. So great trouble and shame. And essentially what we see here is the Israelites were disobedient. God scatters them, and, and now they're experiencing a bunch of shame. They had the presence of God. They carried the presence of God with them. You can read in the Old Testament, they said, if we just bring the ark, we're going to win this puppy. We're going to win this war. And then we start to see the, the, the dissipation of, of the Israelites. They're conquering, and now they're scattered, and there's a bunch of kings who don't follow God. And now they're filled not only with pain of not having a place to live, of not only having a place to worship, and now they're filled with shame. They were the ones to carry the image and the, the presence of God with them. They didn't even have that. They had nothing left anymore. And so uh, they, they experienced that shame. And uh, Nehemiah, gets, he starts to get overburdened by this. He, he, it said the remnant there in the province who had survived the exiles in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. Now, if you're a man, a lot of times, men in this room, you probably have not tied in that you can actually make an eternal difference by building a wall, okay? Like, there's this carpenter that I, I served with. His name was Nick. And Nick is perpetually 18. He's a wonderful guy. He had the big old carpenter thumbs, you know, everywhere. He, like, he'd just give you a thumbs up, and his thumb was like this microphone, right? He, I mean, he's a real carpenter. Uh, now, my man over here, I, what's your name again in the back? I can't remember. 
Mike. I mean, when you shake Mike's hand, you know Mike hangs drywall and finishes drywall. <laughs> you just know it, right? And so a lot of times, you know, we would be in worship services. Nick would just kind of be there. But Nick would worship his heart out when he was building a cafe for youth students. And when he was, you know, this is, is sometimes men, we want to build things to break them, break them, to, you know, just to build them up again because that's how God's wired us. And so Nehemiah's like, well, I can't gather everybody together, but what I can do is I can build a wall. I can do something about it. And so when he hears the story of the wall being broken down, the first thing he does is he actually sits and weeps. He says, as soon as I, I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the Lord of heaven. Two things happen here. The first thing is he sits down and, and he weeps. You know, remember, God will use those who can sit down and cry. The compassion that you have in your heart might be pointing you to the calling that's in your life. We say this, you know, a lot of times my, my church has heard me say this a million times. But you'll find your calling where your pain and your compassion meet. He has this deep pain inside of him. And the first thing he does is he sits down and he weeps. He's like, I'm, I'm, I'm overburdened by this. But then his response to that is he kneels to pray. So God uses people who sit down to weep. God uses people who kneel to pray. He begins to remind God of his promises. Shortly after this in verse 8, it says, Remember the word you commanded your servant Moses, that if somebody would pray, we remember this, right? If we would just humble ourselves and pray, God would bring us all back together and God would heal our land. He, he reminds God of his promise. Sometimes you need to remind God of, your, of the promises. You're experiencing pain. You're experiencing, diff experiencing difficulty. I was speaking with somebody prior to service. There's a promise for healing. I'm not work walking out in healing. I love how you said it. You can rejoice before you get the answer. You can rejoice. It's so good. So he's, he, he kneels to pray, but not only does he, he just you know, sit down to weep and he kneels to pray. I think some of us get stuck there. You know, we're just like, well, let me just pray about it and have God do something. No, he actually stood up and acted. And so I don't mean to be like so bold with you today, but like, you know, maybe the burden is in your heart. Not so you could just pray and hope that somebody else does it, but so that you can stand up and act yeah, and do something on. about it. Yeah. And so he gets this boldness inside of him. He's, he was cupbearer to the king, the scripture says, which is he probably got his position by default. It's not a, you get that, right? Because somebody probably drank the, the poison, you know, before, before he would hand it to the king. They, oh, they're done. Get Nehemiah. He's next in line. So it's not like the most, um, you know, it's, it's not really like a beautiful position. Sure, they get great robes. They get to be in the presence of the king. But he's expendable, right? And so he's cupbearer to the king. He doesn't necessarily limit himself. He looks at the faithfulness of God and he's like, you know, you, you could do anything, even if I'm just a measly cupbearer. You know, and this is where it's, it's amazing because I was cupbearer to the king is one of my favorite passages in this because it, it makes the playing field even for us all. Like I think a lot of times when we think about calling in, in our, in just in our lives, like you look at guys like us who have a microphone and you think, well, you know, I'm not called to do that. But the story of Nehemiah is I'm going to, I'm going to just serve in obscurity. I'm just going to do this small thing. And just trust and just do the burden that's in my heart. And what, what, what's amazing about this is 500 years later, after Nehemiah, the king goes, yeah, let me, I'm going to fund that whole project. We'll, we'll get it. He starts putting, assembling teams, putting people on the wall and, and everything. But he rode into town to assess the damage originally, not sharing what was really in his heart. He was in a season of, of silence. Don't know if you've ever been there before. Not sharing what was in his heart. He assesses the damage. And because of Nehemiah's faithfulness, 500 years later, Jesus was able to ride into, into town on a donkey to fulfill. It, it's beautiful because, you know, I wonder if Nehemiah could have known that he was a part of the greatest story ever told. Think about that. Like, you know, I'm holding a hammer. I'm putting up a brick. 
just following the burden in my heart. We were talking about D.L. Moody. Actually, uh, uh, there was a the shoemaker that led D.L. Moody to Christ. And that shoemaker, D.L. Moody was a troubled kid. There was probably two kids in a Sunday school. He led D.L. Moody to Christ. D.L. Moody leads somebody else to Christ who leads Billy Sunday to Christ, who leads Billy Graham to Christ. What if the shoemaker didn't just put his arm around the burden that was right in front of him? Yeah. Like, what if he just prayed for him? Yeah. Like, seriously. I don't mean to be, yeah. like, so, you know, so direct. But, like, <laughs> why don't you just stand up and act? You pray for people, and you want God to move. Why don't you stand up and act? Trust God. Is that too hard? Is that too hard? Oh, man. Zach, we're going to go hide over here while Zach continues to... <laughs> Yeah, now, I'm, we, I'm pause. we always used to say, uh, you know, as a pastor, you get people all the time, they come up to you and they're like, well, somebody ought to. And it's like, well, wait a second, maybe somebody is me, buddy. Like, if God's put that in your heart, it's, it's time to do something about it. So, but yeah, that's not harsh. It's just the reality for all of us is when Jesus calls us and gives us something, we should act on it. Could he um, have known, Chris? Like, what do you think? Like, did he know that he was a part of this? I think uh, Nehemiah is probably just doing what God put in front of him yeah. and, and like, hey, this is what's in front of you. Do it because it fits. And we don't always get to see the bigger picture of where stuff fits. We just have to trust that I'm doing my part. I'm giving it to the master and he's putting it in the picture somewhere. And uh, it, your story was reminding me, uh, my dad was the pastor of our church before I, I came in 2008. And uh, we used to, before we moved the church back to the suburbs, the South Hills in 2016, uh, we spent about 25 years in the city. And uh, when we moved to the city, we bought the Lorenz Avenue Baptist Church. And it was, it was pretty amazing, right there on the corner, built in 1907, uh, always needing some kind of work. If you're a facilities guy at church, as you know. Um, but we bought that building, the Lorenz Avenue Baptist Church. And through the history, we found out the Lorenz Avenue Baptist Church, over the years, they planted a church in Crafton called the First Baptist Church in Crafton. So the, the Baptist in the city planted a church in the suburbs. Uh, that's significant to us because there we are in the Lorenz Avenue Baptist Church building that God provided as a house for us for the church. My dad got saved because two men, a pastor and a lay leader from the Crafton Baptist Church, came to our house and witnessed to him. And so it's like my dad got saved. The, we, so picture this circle with me. We bought a building for our church that planted the church that was where my dad got saved. So it's like we underestimate it, but it's, it's like Ben's life. God's saying, hey, Ben, I'm going to need you to do this in 50 years. So I'll move this resource over here decades ago. And, and I'm going to need you to rebuild that wall because in 500 years, Jesus is going to ride into the city on a donkey. We don't even grasp the impact that we have on generations from just doing what God places right in front of us. No, that's right. That's so good. And I think for each one of us here in the room, like if we thought about our story, how we came to know Jesus, it's connected to another person. Yeah. Being obedient, being invited in to be a part of God's purposes. Like we just see this theme time and time again, but there's, the triumphal entry is such an exclamation yeah. point of it. Like it's so good. And man, like Zach, I love what you said. I mean, my mind goes in two directions. First of all, the explanation of the cupbearer, I get it now. I get why you take me take, make me take the first sip of your Starbucks. <laughs> I thought you were just being generous, but now I get it. So I got you. Then I, I changed don't the lid because I'm a germaphobe. I know, man. That's, I, but it all makes sense now. But no, the reality that, that God uses those who sit to cry, like it just struck me, man. Like, man, even those low spots, even in that sadness, even in that burden that God's birthing in your pain, like he can use you. And then he can use you as you pray, as you seek him about it. But ultimately, I love what you said. Like it's almost like there's a progression 
ultimately, God uses those who act, who will cross the line, who will step out in obedience, who will give them the donkey, the disciples who will go and fetch it when it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But God can do so much with small little acts of obedience. Man, as we think about this week and all that's coming and Easter to come next week, a lot of us will find ourselves in services like this. Like maybe your, your block on the wall, to, 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 to play the metaphor, to play the story, is maybe it's that neighbor or that, that relationship in your life or that coworker, that friend that you've been believing God. Like, God, I want them to meet your son Jesus. And God's saying like, yeah, me too. <laughs> Are you going to bring him to church? Like, I don't, I don't know. I'm not putting that on you. I'm just saying like all the time God is just, we see it. The story of the Bible is many things, but a constant theme throughout the whole thing is God inviting people in to be a part of his purposes. So I love this. That is so good, man. So good. So like when we think there's so much, guys, like we, as we were like hashing out content, we're like, we could, can we do like a four-part series? We can't. We got to wrap, we got to land the plane. But like, so Pastor Chris, like if you, and there's so much, I get it. So tough challenge. But if you had to put an exclamation point on this, if you had to kind of, the main thing, the biggest standout thought to give you the final word on the triumphal entry, what, what's the parting thought that you got to get this out? Uh, for me, the triumphal entry tells me we have to know Jesus for ourselves. There were a whole lot of people in the crowd that day, throngs of people all around, but there are only a few that actually knew Jesus intimately. In, in fact, if you read the triumphal entry after the big entry into the city, it says Jesus went with the 12 disciples to Bethany and spent the night with his friends. Those were the people that knew Jesus and what he was all about. And there were a lot of people there that day. There were people in the crowd that were saying, hey, I've come because I heard he's that guy that feeds people. And, and we're hungry, so we're going to go get some bread and fish because that's how he rolls. Or, hey, it's the guy that raised Lazarus from the dead, so we're going to go see what the hubbub's about. Or, or it's, it's just this famous teacher that we've heard. There were a lot of people in the crowd because they'd heard about Jesus, but they didn't actually know who he was. And, and that creates... The issue that that creates is Jesus doesn't always do things like we think he's going to. There were people in that crowd thinking he's going to overthrow the Romans. He's going to free the Jews. Jerusalem's going to be the capital of everything again. And Jesus wasn't there to do that. And when Jesus doesn't meet our expectations, we get offended at him. We get upset. We, we say, well, forget you, Jesus. I don't need any of that. And the, the same people so here's this crowd in Jerusalem. They're shouting, Hosanna. They're saying, save us. You're the one. You've come. We believe. The same crowd that's shouting, Hosanna to Jesus. A week later, just a week later, come on, this isn't like, oh, Jesus, you forgot about me for 10 years or 50 years of my life. A week later, those same people are part of a crowd yelling, crucify him. Rid the earth of him. Let his blood be on our head. We don't even care. He's worthy to die because he didn't do things the way they thought he was going to do it. And it all came from they didn't know him for themselves. They didn't have a personal relationship with him. And I, I think that's, that's where we, we should land the, the plane is we need to know Jesus ourselves. If, if you're in this room or you're watching online and maybe you've done the duties, maybe you've checked off the boxes of, yeah, I, I know about Jesus because I go to church and I go to a small group. I hang out with the right people. But you've never taken the time to actually know him yourself and develop a relationship, this would be a great day to start that. And uh, whatever, whatever word or phrase you want to use for it, whether you, you call it being born again or being saved or converted, it starts, according to Romans, by us believing in our heart that Jesus died on the cross and that he rose again, that he was God's son, and then confessing with our mouth, Jesus, you are Lord. 
It's as simple as that to start a relationship. Now, like any relationship, it still takes work. Like we're, we're knowing him more and more every day. We find out more about Jesus. He's, he's the infinite one. We're going to find out more and more about him for the rest of eternity. But it starts with that moment of saying, Jesus, I need to know you for myself, not just be part of the crowd. So I, I just want to pray for us right now. If you're in this room and, and you need to start that type of relationship with him or you're watching online, uh, we're just going to pray right now. And also, if you've got somebody, even maybe as Ben was talking about, who's that person? If you've got somebody in your mind right now that you thought of when you thought they really need to know Jesus, I love them, I care about them, I want their life to be turned around and see the goodness of God, hold them in your heart even as we pray. If you're already a believer, just hold that person in your heart and believe and expect for an opportunity for them to be swept into God's kingdom even this Easter season. Let's pray. God, we come before you right now thankful to you that you are the Lord of all, And Jesus, for those of us who have called on your name, we say you are the Lord of us right here, right now. And Lord, if there's people right now that they need to know you for the first time, we just join in with them and saying, Lord, here's our lives. You are the Lord. We believe that you died on the cross for us, that you rose from the dead. You walked out of that tomb three days after you hung on that cross. We believe. And Lord, I thank you. The moment that we did that, new life erupted inside of us. We exchanged our old life for your life that you give us, that abundant life that you promised, that eternal life that you give, Lord Jesus. God, we thank you for that. We may not even understand it all the time. We may not know everything that it means, but we're grateful and we receive it. And Lord, for those that we're thinking of right now, our loved ones, our friends, our family, that they need to know you, We lift them up before you right now. We ask for this Easter season that you would release salvation into their lives, that you would bring healing, that you would bring deliverance. All those things that happened when you walked into a room, Lord Jesus, we pray that for our loved ones right now, that they would come to know you for themselves, that it wouldn't be enough to just hear about it from others or watch from a distance or be part of a crowd, but that they would know you for themselves. God, we honor you right now. We say that we love you. And we give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. I have a a verse I just want to leave us with. If you've prayed that today for the first time or you prayed it years ago, this is is what happens, talking about the triumphal entry in 2 Corinthians 2.14. It says, but thank God. And then it has an exclamation point. Can we just say thank God together? Thank God. It says, but thank God he has made us his captives and continues to lead us along in Christ's triumphal procession. Now he uses us to spread the knowledge of Christ everywhere like a sweet perfume. As we're celebrating his triumphal procession, he actually made us part of his triumphal procession. Amen and amen. We're going to take communion in a moment. Pastor Zach's going to lead us in, lead us in that. But I just felt in this moment, I just want to take a moment and dig just a little bit deeper. And this will just take a second. Because I think sometimes God places his hand on something that maybe he's been asking us to do, something that he wants us to release, something that he wants to give. And you might still feel some hesitancy. And maybe you feel God once again this morning putting his hand in that place. And I just want to encourage you in this moment to know that you may be the answer to someone's prayer. You may be the miracle. You may be the answer to that miracle that they've been waiting for. 
And I found myself in this place of recognizing as God called us to plant a church and over the last couple of years being so thankful for the people who came before me, the Nehemiahs. And specifically, I remember this, this couple who were getting very senior in their years and they were instrumental in the church that I grew up in. I recognized the older I got, how much they had given up to, be a, to make a way for me to come to know Jesus. Now to have me in a place where I'm pastoring and leading people to Christ. And I just remember God gave me this burden. He was just beginning weeping over him. I just felt like I needed to share that with him. And I remember I was like, I'm gonna go drive by their house. And if they're outside on the porch, you know, it's one of those things like, I don't really want to do it. And so I drive by and they're on the porch. I'm like, no, God, I was just kidding. If they're wearing like a red shirt on the porch and like waving. And so I turn the car around, pull in the driveway, come up. They're so excited to see me. I haven't talked to them in several years. And I just begin to share with them and talk to them. I just began to thank them for everything that they had given, the investment that they had made into me, maybe even a lot indirectly. And they are just kind of like, oh, wow, you know, and just, I just want to remind you in this moment that there may be some things that God is asking you to let go. And I don't know if it's a physical resource. I don't know if it's something, if it's influence, if there's something you've just been holding kind of tight and you keep filming and put his hand there. And if he's putting it there again, don't hold back. Because there may be someone driving by your porch years from now who might stop by and say, hey, that was the moment. So I just want to encourage you in that. You got a no snap for my wife. That means that's good. Thanks for listening. If you would like to connect with us or learn more about our church, please visit us online at treeline.church or on social media. Our mission is to see family trees changed by a lifelong relationship with Jesus. We hope you can listen or join us next week.